0: Much more than just a series of small, isolated incidents. It's now apparent that an organized criminal element is at work. And at the moment, business is good. So good, in fact, that there appear to be no eyewitnesses to any of these crimes. With complaints ranging from purse snatching to breaking and entering, Police switchboards have been swamped with the angry voices of more and more citizens who have fallen prey to the recent surge of crime that continues to plague the city. Even the victims themselves rarely catch a glimpse of the thieves. Many don't even know they've been victimized until it's too late
1: in huh? fact
0: police have yet to come up with a single eyewitness only a few vague reports of young boys or teenagers at the scenes have been filed but whoever is behind these crimes one thing is certain these are much more than just a series of random isolated incidents.
2: Hello, listeners. This is Superhero Stuff You Should Know, brought to you by the Superhouse Podcast Network. I'm Wolfie. And this is Andrew. Y'all, what's going on? And we got a special presentation here for you to kick off our broader series exploring uh, the Grand Titans of superhero fiction, if you will. Um, Ben's <laughs> not with us today, unfortunately. He's off on his bat training, he's in the Ben Cave studying up on his bat tutelage <laughs>
3: something like that <laughs> the bat tutelage yes so yeah we talked about this everybody and uh ben was okay with us starting off this it was just the timing of it um, but ben's still a part of superhouse podcast network and he'll be on for the next one leading as he always does really mainly right now we're just changing the name we are superhouse but what we do is super superhero stuff you should know And we kind of wanted to make Superhouse more of a platform. How do you feel about that, Wolfie? We've been talking about that for a while.
2: Yeah, it's it's taken a little doing conceptually, but we've come around to this new format and this new way of uh, addressing our platform that we think will be much more palatable for the casual listener as well as the the long time listeners who've been supporting us. Thank you guys.
3: Yeah. And basically it just felt like, um, nobody really knows what a super house is. You know what I mean? So we just thought that it might just, let's not bury the lead. We do superhero deep dive stuff. So let's just make that our, our name and make it very, uh, understood. Um, as soon as you see it in in iTunes or Spotify so that's the reason and we're still gonna have Superhouse in the name somewhere in there but this particular podcast is gonna be called superhero stuff you should know from now on
2: and so without further ado in this first presentation of superhero stuff you should know we're gonna tackle the classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film from 1990 which actually turns 30 this year And I wanted to do a little bit of a retrospective at the top, as well as some of the fun behind the scenes stuff that went into the making of this film. The second part we'll jump into will be some trivia and some interesting tidbits that went into, uh, also came out of as a result of this film being made. A lot of interesting stuff here. We're going to dive right in. I got a little something uh, prepared uh, to set it off. In our childhoods, I don't think there was a bigger series than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Sure, there were a few contenders like Captain Planet, Tailspin, Barnyard Commandos, but nothing with the cultural scope of TMNT. At that time, in the late 80s into the early 90s, these dudes were the King Titan heroes of our age, and is a brand that has impacted my life and the lives of many, many others since their early days as a gritty underground comic series to their broader introduction as an animated series in 1987. A lot of my early philosophical and intellectual thinkings were stimulated by the teachings of Master Splinter and the lessons learned by the turtles episode by episode, as well as sparking my lifelong interest in the martial arts and an unwavering love of pizza. (laughs) When the the film adaptation came around, there couldn't have been a bigger event in the world to my five-year-old self. And the film, in my opinion, is the best big-screen adaptation of these characters to date and continues to age well. On repeated viewings never fails to excite, is emotionally gripping, splinter campfire scene I'm looking at you, and is a wellspring of endless joy for most, if not all, Turtle fans. Uh, Do you remember your first viewing of the live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? I do think that we saw this
3: in the theater. At least Jordan and me, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but again, it was 1990. We were both born in 84, right? So I was six.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Hard to tell, hard to remember back.
3: Yeah, I, it's hard to remember, but I think we did and definitely wore out the VHS. That's for sure. <laughs> and yeah. when Raphael says damn in the street, it was like a fucking Ooh. revelation. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know? so first time your mom slaps you but Raphael said it
3: <laughs> yeah I'm sure that was weird for my parents they were like what are we watching but uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, I, yeah I'm pretty sure we saw it in the theater because it was like the biggest thing at the time and no one expected Raphael to say damn so
2: yeah um, it took it, it kind of gave it that edge that matured us out of the animated fandom into like whoa hold on these guys can you know, s- stand in a gritty, uh, realistic, uh, setting at this point, which, you know, probably nobody uh, prior to the film getting made was interested in doing or thought that it could be done. I don't know.
3: Well, we were These, six, six, right. So we had no idea of the, of the, the, the gritty comics that came out before it. So right, yeah. The, all we had was the, was the cartoon. So to see this version of it, uh, i mean obviously i mean we loved it and then the the humor was so good too so and i i do remember liking that it was darker even when i was that young
2: yeah yeah it seemed to just go like step up onto that up that next echelon of entertainment for me i was like oh man it like broadened my horizons i guess <laughs> <laughs> And so to give you a little bit of a historical context to what uh, was going on at the time of the release of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, uh, the Cold War ended after its first free elections during the Soviet era. On March 18th, Estonia declares Soviet rule to have been illegal since 1940. Uh, At the time, the president of the United States was George H.W. Bush. Uh, On the Billboard charts, Black Velvet by Alana Miles was the number one hit.
3: Oh, shit.
2: Uh, here's some other popular films and TV that were out at the time. I'm read these real quick. Uh, the Cook, The Thief, The Wife, and Her Lover uh, by Richard Boringer, or starring Richard Boringer, Michael Gambon, and Helen Mirren. Uh, Crybaby with Johnny Depp. And Lord of the Flies, actually, which is a great classic. Also love that movie.
3: Uh, actually, in that same month, we had Hunt for Red October release on March 2nd, 1990. Then the first I, I'm assuming the first rendition of The Handmaid's Tale, there was a movie that came out March 9th, 1990. And then Pretty Woman, a pretty heavy hitter, came out just the week before, on March 23rd, 1990. And then Ninja Turtles finally came out March 30th, 1990. And as far as I can tell, there was nothing else that was released that day. Maybe they were afraid yeah. of it. <laughs>
2: Anticipated it being a hit or something. The numbers were coming in. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, all those movies suck by comparison. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Actually, I have never seen Hunt for Red October, so there's that. I actually
3: have, and I've never seen Joe versus the volcano. Did I mention that one? That was March. Oh
2: man, that's a great movie. (laughs) Is
3: that good? uh, Yeah. So many that to
2: see. Uh, Some popular TV at the time was Law and Order's first season came out this same year. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air was hot. Uh, Beverly Hills 90210 was hot. The Flash was hot. I remember that show. That was some good shit. Blossom. Watched my fair share of Blossom. Did you watch Blossom? I've never even heard of that. You never heard of Blossom? What is what <laughs> that's is on that? our, It's on our next deep dive, guys. <laughs> no, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just like a sitcom about this like artsy girl and her family, and they it's like very '90s. She's very grunge influenced and stuff. I know Clarissa explains it all. That's all I know. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like that actually, but more on the primetime scale. Um, anyway, we also had in Living Color. Are You Afraid of the Dark, Rugrats was huge in the cartoon realm, Tailspin, Tiny Toon Adventures, love that shit, Captain Planet, Swamp Thing, Bobby's World, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. <laughs> uh, some popular books were Clear and Present Danger by Tom Clancy and The Scions of Shannara by Terry Brooks. And some popular video games at the time were Bonk's Adventure. A game called Elemental Master, which I don't think I've ever played on the Sega Genesis, uh, was out. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 was popular. And the Disney's Cartoon Arcade. So before we get started on uh, diving into the film, uh, do you have a favorite Ninja Turtle?
3: Oh, dude, I love I love this question. So um, I, it's Leonardo, and I feel I always felt like it was so obvious that he was the best one my whole life mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. Here's the thing: I'm the oldest brother, and so I had that like sense of responsibility in some way. And like, Mm -hmm. so I was kind of surprised that to hear, it feels like Michelangelo is generally everybody's favorite or like if there was like a ranking, I think he's generally at the top. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take a survey because he's the funniest and I I get it for sure. And I bet you Donatello is probably the lowest, maybe Mm -hmm. Leonardo is, I don't know, because Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I generally... I kind of connect with those characters maybe because I'm the oldest brother or something like a lot of people think Cyclops is a fucking douche. I like Cyclops. I think he's cool. (laughs) I liked him before he became Cyclops was the whole Cyclops was right movement and all that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I like those kind of characters. Um, and also like the Katana, just a cooler weapon, I think so. And he usually like dual wields it like Musashi. So Mm -hmm. I think that shit's awesome. And, and he was always pretty much my favorite. How about you? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, like, much to what you're saying, I always gravitated towards Michelangelo, maybe because he was, like, you know, he's the party dude or whatever. He just does whatever. Uh, He's super funny, and he's the most childlike, I think. Um, I'm the youngest in my family, so I was kind of, like, related to that aspect, that dynamic between the siblings, the turtle siblings, and my own siblings. So um, I always say Michelangelo, but I think we talked about this once before, uh, I think we asked Kasim on one of our Ninja interviews and it was like unwavering, unflinching. We were like, well, who's your favorite turtle? And he was just like, all of them, yes, <laughs> which yes. seems to be now that he said that and the way he described how they work are you know, they're best when they work as a team and they you know, function as a singular unit. And it kind of seemed after that, that that's pretty much the correct answer. <laughs> so nowadays I, I lead with that, you know, taking from Kasim um, whenever I'm asked that question, but. So, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film in 1990 is a comic book film based on a series by the same name about the adventures of the popular characters April O'Neil, Casey Jones, Splinter, and the Turtles themselves. Leonardo,
1: Michelangelo, Donatello, (laughs) and Raphael.
2: Okay, so let's get into it. Produced by New Line Cinema and Limelight Pictures in association with Golden Harvest Productions, story and screenplay by Bobby Herbeck and Todd W. Langen, and an unforgettable score by John Duprez. The film was directed by Steve Barone, at the time then known for working on a plethora of music videos from the likes of David Bowie, Paul McCartney, Culture Club, Sheena Easton, Don Henley, Dire Straits, ZZ Top, Super Tramp, Toto, and many others. Um, he's also known for working on the Jim Henson television series The Storyteller as a director on a few episodes Prior to doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He also later became the director of the big-screen adaptation of the Coneheads <laughs> um, Fun fact Steve Barone was also the director of the animated and groundbreaking take on me video from the 80s new wave band Aha, oh, shit. Uh, which I think yeah, you've probably seen that badass video um, it utilized an early rotoscoping technique in which live actors are traced frame by frame to create dreamy sequences of both real movement and hand-drawn animation. Great video if you haven't seen it yet, and I think that's awesome that it's this dude, you know.
3: Yeah, that's cool. I did not know that. That is definitely new to me. I'm learning with the audience.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's some good shit, man. Like, this movie is just very special in a lot of ways. The film starred Judith Hogue as news reporter April O'Neill. Massive crush on Judith Hoag. She still looks great. Uh, and Elias <laughs> Coteus, who I think, he, what, what show is he on most recently? He's, he's like He's, he's like, like older, on
3: uh, Law and Order bold. or some
2: shit. NCAA, yeah, like Law and Order. Shows. Um, it was adapted from the early comics, including the stories of the Turtles' origins, Rooftop Battle, Sojourn to the Farmhouse, and Battle with Shredder, uh, with such elements of the then-currently-running cartoon series thrown in for kids. Uh, such as the turtles colored bandanas and love of pizza Uh, elements of Michelangelo's character and April O'Neil as a television reporter instead of a lab assistant uh, as she was in the comics. Uh, Elias Coteas as the hockey stick wielding baseball bat swinging, masked vigilante and cricket enthusiast, Casey Jones. He Uh, doesn't like (laughs) cricket though, does he? (laughs) I just wanted to shoehorn that in there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Nobody understands cricket You gotta know what a crump it is to understand cricket
2: <laughs> uh, It featured the voice talents of Brian Tochi Robbie Rist, Corey Feldman Who most people are pretty familiar with And Josh Pice um, I think a lot of these guys were like Feldman was Donnie Yeah, right? yeah, he was Donnie Really iconic
0: Hey Mikey, did you ever think about what Splinter said tonight? I mean about what it would be like You know, not having him
1: Hmm. time's up three bucks off
2: uh but they all have cameos in the film um which is pretty cool i like i like that about this film too is like you know maybe it was budgetary things you know you need somebody to just step in for a shot or something but i like that it turned out that they also had space for these guys to have cameos to make the world feel a little bit more alive um Fun fact, it also featured an early appearance from a young Sam Rockwell uh, with the singular line.
0: Go check out the East Warehouse over Ledman Island. You get your answers there.
2: An homage to the creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, uh, which I always thought was kind of cool. That's um, cool. Yeah, in researching this, I, I, I thought he said Ledman Island originally, but yeah. in researching this, that's even like juicier. It's even more sweet. Uh, so, hell yeah, Sam Rockwell, amazing. Love the dude. All right, so the turtles in the film were created by Jim Henson's Creature Shop in London. Uh, Jim Henson said that the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked with and were first made out of fiberglass and then remolded out of clay. Uh, they were produced as molds to cast the whole body in foam rubber latex. The work at the shop was completed within 18 weeks, this being one of Jim Henson's last projects before his death. Oh, shit. Um, I did not realize that yeah. either.
3: He'd, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Really, it was really interesting timing, and uh, Jim Henson had some pretty interesting feelings about Uh, Well, fun fact, actually, Jim Henson objected to the amount of violence in the finished film and denounced it somewhat saying it wasn't his style, but was ultimately proud of his company's work done for the film and did it as a favor to Steve Barone. Yeah, so the pedigree is really good. And, like, you know, it just t- took these magical elements to get this thing off the ground. That's true. At the time, TMNT became the highest grossing independent film ever made, having made $135 million in domestic box office and $66 million in the foreign box office, uh, which doesn't really seem like a lot by today's standards. Um, but the film's budget itself was only $13.5 Well,
3: generally, the rule of thumb is whatever the movie's budget is that's going to be the exact same budget for marketing worldwide so if it's 13 million it's going to be 26 million to market or 26 million total cuz it'll be 13 oh, million as well to market okay. something like that so for a movie to actually make a profit at that point if it's 13 million you got to make over 26 million at least oh, shit. Okay. which
2: right. it
1: did yeah right? yeah
2: yeah The plot of the film focused on the Turtles and Splinter becoming aware of the rising presence of the mysterious Foot Clan, and with the help of new allies April O'Neil and Casey Jones taking on the dangerous gang of ninja thieves led by the enigmatic figure the Shredder. The best on-screen Shredder, in my opinion. Love this dude his lines his attitude everything i mean it's simple but he's really super effective and
3: well when he's like saying i'm your i'm your father now or whatever man god that's it's it's great it's pretty that's one of the good man yeah my mind That's like one
2: of the great monologues of cinematic history
1: (laughs) only effort discipline loyalty earn the right to wear the dragon doji you are here because the outside world rejects you this is your family I am your
3: father. Yeah, it's good. It it even it holds up, yeah, for sure.
2: It was filmed mostly at North Carolina Film Studio in you guessed it North Carolina, uh, where the New York rooftop sets were created with a few shooting days in New York during the summer of 89 to capture landmark areas such as Times Square, the Hudson River, Empire State Building. And the Brooklyn Bridge. That's one thing I love about cinema, too, is just like imaginatively working around your restrictions, your budgetary constraints or your locations and stuff. Um, Oh, yeah. You wouldn't even tell, you know, like that this wasn't, you know, the farmhouse wasn't someplace in upstate New York or, you know, the city itself wasn't just right outside the door. Right. Right. (laughs) Many major studios such as Walt Disney Pictures, Columbia Pictures, MGM, Orion Pictures, Paramount and Warner Brothers turned down the film for distribution. They were worried that despite the popularity of the cartoon and the toy line, the film would potentially be a box office disappointment, like Masters of the Universe was just a couple years prior.
3: I can sort of see that being uh, a concern for those at the time, but you just have such a better end product at the end of the day I mean, sorry. He yeah, fans, yeah. but I think it's true. This movie is just a little bit better yeah. or a lot better, really.
1: I think I'm going to need some backup.
2: But anyway, uh, the film found distribution roughly halfway through the initial production via the then small and independent production company, New Line Cinema, which had been hell known yeah. for hell yeah. I love New Line films. I don't know why just that iconic opening uh, sequence that they have. You always know it's going to be, you know, probably some kind of schlocky thing, but they have a real sense of cool at New Line, I think. I love their shit. So,
3: you younger millennials don't know because they haven't, I think they got bought out by Warner Bros. Right, but yeah. uh, New Line fucking owned the 90s. And mm-hmm. my dad even said, you know, it's going to be a good movie if it's got a New Line uh, uh, thing in front of it. You totally. know what I mean? Like, I, I think Rush Hour, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember any other off the top of my head, but then finally culminating into uh, Lord of the Rings. So, and then oh, yeah. I think at that At that point, um, when they fucking kicked all the ass in the world with Lord of the Rings, Warner Brothers is like, "Here's a check,
2: thanks. We're buying you now." Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, even with this film, it's like, just it kicks off such a nice tone. You have that that cool music coming in, sweeping helicopter shot over New York City. It's just like, all right, uh, I don't know what I'm about to get into, but this is already good. In the script and novelization, the young boy that Tatsu attacks was to die from the beating. That would have been too violent for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. The sounds of the boy breathing and others saying he would be all right were added at the last minute after the movie ratings board objected to the scene <laughs> in the French version of the movie. They got <laughs> they got that far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the French version of the movie, Shencho dies. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, really? They keep him dead. Yeah, they they don't give a flying flup out there. Mm, that's cool. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, keep it yeah. real. Yeah, keep it real. I wonder if Kasim, that's the version he probably saw, you know? He's just like, it man. It probably is. They got to stop these guys. They're ruthless. <laughs> we should talk to Kasim about that. Um, uh, according to Josh Pice on the podcast, I Was There Too, the director Steve Barone was fired near the end of the production as the producers thought the film would become too dark. Dang, sad story. Well,
3: they saved the kid and the fucking, um, what do you call it, ADR, in the sound edit. After it's shot, so like up until like way late in the game, that kid was dead in the movie. So I could see that if you know you put on your producer hat at this time, they're like, you're probably like, it was raising some flags, right? Probably so, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. Editor Sally Mink or Minky, uh, who later edited many films by Quentin Tarantino, was was removed as production company Golden Harvest did not like her work. <laughs> Golden Harvest was just like, nah. She sucks. But you know, uh, I I would be remiss to say that the film cut in any other way would be maybe not as good. I don't know. I I like what we got. It
3: wasn't a good fit. It just wasn't a good fit. Maybe.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, girls don't understand turtles. (laughs) (laughs) So here's an interesting one, especially I think you'll probably get a kick out of this. Um, the film has a 40% rating on rotten tomatoes and was the most successful of the first three film adaptations. Um, Forty percent <laughs> tomato meter, but from that's the audience score, it's got an eighty-one percent now. Uh, so with you know with time and that's more. And Mike. really, I think the film ages so well. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, damn, this should still hitting hard. Uh, it's sequels were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Secret of the Ooze. Uh, please refer to Superhouse podcast episode featuring our interview with the stuntman Nick Palma, who worked on that film uh, as a martial arts stuntman. Really great interview. Uh, if you check our backlog, oh yeah. Good stuff. In the film, the actors who physically portrayed the turtles also had cameo roles in the film. Uh, if you'll pay close attention to the film, Josh Pice, who plays Raphael, uh, plays a passenger in the back of a taxi cab right after Raphael hops uh, on the cab's hood and says, What the heck was that? What the heck was that?
1: Look like sort of a big title in a trench coat. You're going to look of here, right? Come
2: back here! Michelin, or Michelin, Sisti, who plays Michelangelo, uh, plays the pizza delivery man who delivers the pizza uh, to the turtle sewer in that hilarious scene. Yeah,
0: one, twenty-two, one, twenty-two, and an eight? One, twenty-two, and an eight. Terrific.
1: Where the heck is one, twenty-two, and an eight? You're standing on it, dude. Just slip it down here.
0: Give me that. Hey. This is a 10. The tab's 13. You're 2 minutes late, dude. Ah, oh, come on. I couldn't find a place.
1: Wise man say, "Forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza."
0: I got to get a new route.
3: <laughs> yeah. Which I don't think I, when I was a kid, I don't think I even fully understood that line
2: yeah it was all. Yeah. It was
3: like when you're six it's even that's a little bit too philosophical i think
2: right just getting us started it's really just like shoehorning it into our tiny little pea brains it's true <laughs> it's true yes <laughs> and and it's so interesting to see how like you know th- what you think of michelangelo is like this youthful young uh comedic jumping around type of guy but when you think of this um and sisti uh you know he's kind of an older gentleman you just wouldn't peg the two you know you just would not notice so it's a really kind of like um chameleon-esque kind of uh aspect to to a lot of this film and a lot of these cameos leaf tilden who plays donatello uh plays the foot messenger that meets april in the subway station this is actually kind of this is where some aspects of the film are you know dated and stuff like that and this is one of the moments that's um perceived as being somewhat like racist by today's standards uh because the, I think the foot soldier says, uh, "We've been looking for you, Miss O'Neill." And he has like a very like hard Japanese accent, which I don't think that part yeah. is specifically. But she says something. She says, um, "Am
0: I behind on my Sony payments again?"
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I think by today's standards, I've I've read somewhere it's it's kind of like it's just seen as being insensitive or or kind of um, ignorant, I suppose. Uh, but that foot soldier uh, Yeah.
3: also like what the <laughs> fuck is a sony payment like she bought like a hundred dollar <laughs> <Right>. vcr <and laughs> yeah. she, like
2: it's also japan's a joke that falls like... pretty hard
3: yeah i i, I <laughs> forgot about that line i mean you know yeah. it was it was yeah. it was the times it's fine and this was like 1990 i think japan's economic bubble too of the mm-hmm. 80s was still okay. kind of might have been still in effect and there was a still this presence that maybe Japan was going to take over the world at the time or something. Oh you know wow. I mean? Yeah. Like, interesting. You know, like that's what that, the stick song, Mr. Roboto is all about. Like they were, oh shit. at least I think it is. Yeah. It's it's like they, Japan was so fucking successful in the eighties that, um, you know, they thought they were going to take over the world, you know, so I don't know. Maybe there's some a little bit of that influence in this line here, you know, like, oh, they're getting aggressive. I don't know.
2: I don't right. Know. Yeah. Some something. Yeah. I've I, I read recently that it's kind of a, a kind of outdated kind of scene or whatever. And then, you know, there's also the foot soldier slaps April O'Neil, too. So I don't know how. Yeah. You know, but within context, it, it makes a lot of sense because Raph comes in and uh, gets her out of a jam. Uh, in a, in a yeah. pretty cool little scene so uh, and David Foreman who plays Leonardo plays a gang member in the warehouse during Casey's fight with Tatsu so uh, Judith Hogue was not asked to reprise her role as April in the film's sequels due to her own personal complaining this is kind of sad to hear because <laughs> yeah. you know you hate to hear that somebody you have a huge crush on is just a whiner no I'm just kidding um, <laughs> uh, particularly about the six-day schedule and the amount of violence in the movie which, you know, by today's standards, I don't think it's like oh, that much violence, you know, for people with stabby objects and swords and stuff. There's not, like, a whole lot of blood or anything, but...
3: Dude, so I mean, we were both six seeing this. Yeah. Uh, do you remember, like, being like, oh, this is violence that I've never seen Yeah, before. it's not like, good fellas, you know? I, I was straight up, like, you know really young formative years watching this movie and the only thing that stuck out was Raphael saying damn
1: come back here I'm not finished with you
3: damn You're right. every single <laughs> thing else <laughs> that's it, hilarious action wise felt perfect yeah you know what I mean it felt like oh this is this is it this is how they should yeah. do it you know
2: yeah, and, you know, and really I think we're just also in awe of like seeing the turtles on screen and live action for the first time. Like that was impactful, you know, so I was the like
3: comedy as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, for the most part, really hit a lot of these jokes yes. in are really great, you know. pepperoni,
1: Your teenage minds abroad eager, but you must never stop practicing the art of ninja, the art of invisibility. Oh, but no anchovies, and I mean no anchovies.
0: You put anchovies on this thing, and you're in big trouble, okay? I can't let you know. Uh,
2: that'll do. And the clock's ticking, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some, you know, and to its credit, there's some pretty good comedy in the in the sequel as well. Uh, even where it's kind of lacking or gets a little too wacky story-wise, but we love that shit. We love it. yes Yes. originally Steve Barone wished to replicate April O'Neil's jumpsuit look from the early Mirage comics and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon Uh, the look was going to closer resemble the cartoon with a yellow colored jumpsuit and a big head of red hair however judith hoag found the jumpsuit horrifying Uh, the yellow raincoat april wears in the beginning of the movie is an homage to the yellow jumpsuit she wears in the 1987 cartoon so they kind of like you know you kind of recognize that i think as a kid Uh, but it was really a whole different take on april in that regard because that's just so iconic for what we were used to yeah yeah um i think i didn't
3: really care about april that much because i was a kid totally
2: Uh, uh turtle-fied
3: yeah, I was just in, I was in it for the turtles. So if they fuck up with April, yeah. fucked up April, I would I was like, eh, ah, Get whatever. Get the stinky girl out of here. We'll see some ninja fighting. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, I was six <laughs> again. I was six.
2: Yeah, yeah, we were. You know, I didn't have a crush on her until well after. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of people know this tidbit already, but um, for those who don't, uh, the Foot Clan is a parody of the Hand from the Daredevil comics. Uh, at the time, I think it's been widely known that Eastman and Laird were kind of using the turtles to kind of parody a lot of superhero stuff that was going on at the time, uh, kind of um, lampoon some of the popular shit, uh, which, which thank you, the Foot Clan, that's hilarious. And also as as these movies come out and stuff and they're kind of have to be like an imposing threat, you don't really look twice at them being like the Foot Clan. I just, I think of a foot coming, hitting you in the head or something, you know, it's still pretty menacing.
3: The thing is, like, I did not read Daredevil comics at this time. (laughs) I know the foot way more than I knew the hand, Yeah, and that's just because of my age at the time and stuff, and I would dare say that the foot clan, I don't know, you know, because Netflix was pretty popular, Netflix, Daredevil, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in my mind, still, the foot clan is, is actually more popular than the hand.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like the hand ninjas don't seem to have the distinction that you know the foot clan does, and what comes with them, and a lot of that could be due to like the colorful designs and all this kind of stuff. But I think
3: I think they're pretty they're pretty cool as henchmen too. like yeah. kind of purple and black. Like, yeah, they, it's kind of a fun as far as henchmen design goes. I think they're they're pretty cool, man.
2: Yeah, and the hand in the Daredevil comics, as far as I know, I've read a, quite a bit of Daredevil comics, but not a whole lot, especially not the old stuff. But I think the hand is just more like fodder to, to see, see what Daredevil's capable of. Um, this yeah. isn't actually the, the only Daredevil-Turtles connection as well. Uh, I think the more recent run of the Turtles comics, they kind of point to there being the, that the, the canister of mutagen that ultimately turns the turtles into the Ninja Turtles is, is from a shipment of a wreckage up above uh, on the city streets that also blinded young Matt Murdock and gave him his powers um, yeah, which is more I'm like her. Yeah.
3: Weave a tail right there. Yeah. I think I've heard, i before too. Also stick daredevils mentor stick and mm-hmm. splinter, you know, right, I think yeah. there's some connection there.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think, I don't know. I'll do some more research and see if there's more of those kind of like, uh, correlations. Cause that might be something cool to explore, uh, in the future. Um, but that's awesome, you know. Like Daredevil is, is, is probably like my top five favorite superhero all the time of all time. And really? Yeah. And the Turtles being the top four. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say like top five or top six. I, I love Daredevil. I love Daredevil. Um, I really got into him uh, around the Joe Quesada Kevin Smith run uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s or something like that. And I love the, um, the I mean, Frank I love Miller the Marvel stuff. Show. Yeah. I oh, mean, the the Netflix show was incredible.
3: Yeah, very good, but I don't know. I I don't think I'd put him in my top. Yeah,
2: he's my dude. I was even chomping at the bit when we were at school uh, when the Daredevil movie came out with Ben Affleck. I was like, I couldn't wait for that shit. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, sadly, (laughs) we all saw what it turned out to be, but that's another conversation for another day. (laughs) Um, So moving on. Uh, Brian Tochi, the voice of Leonardo, and Robbie Rist, the voice of Michelangelo, are the only actors who appeared in all three live-action Ninja Turtles movies. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I was glad those guys had a little bit that's of job cool. security there. They're badass. Definitely appreciate their work. Um, uh, all three newswomen seen or mentioned in the film are named after a month: April, May, and June. Uh, which is which nice. is kind of cool. When I was watching it um, the other day, I paid more attention to that, and it's really kind of, you know, it's kind of a kitschy little subtle little thing, but um, I think that's pretty fun. Josh Pice, uh, who plays Raphael, uh, suffers from claustrophobia in real life. After filming his Raphael scenes, he would have to take the helmet off very quickly uh, so as probably not to lose his mind or <laughs> flip his lid wow. or something, you know.
0: You're a claustrophobic. <laughs>
2: You want a fist in the
1: mouth? Mm mm. have never even looked at another guy before.
2: <laughs> what
0: he means is that you're afraid of enclosed areas.
2: Which is, I'm That's a little crazy. claustrophobic, so I can, I can kind of see how tormenting that maybe could be. Um, I think even, you know, a lot of Batman actors have, have felt a certain sense of uh, claustrophobic uh, uh, emotions from, from those bat suits, which we love here at Superhero Stuff, you should know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, during, the, <laughs> during the battle with Shredder, one of my all-time favorite martial art finale fight scenes and stuff, there's just so much good stuff going on here. Dr- drama, great lines, great fighting. Shredder really makes it be known why he's a leader of this underground syndicate of teenage thieves and ninja warrior gangsters. I don't know. <laughs> you fight well in the old style. But you've caused me enough trouble,
1: now you face the Shredder. The Shredder? <laughs> uh, maybe all that hardware's for making coleslaw. Um,
2: but during the battle at Shredder, Leonardo is the only turtle to successfully land a strike when he hits Shredder on his arm with his sword. And it's actually the only time in the movie where you see Leo's swords like cut anything. Um, yeah, he does a lot of swiping of ankles and stuff like that, and you know, like depending on uh, how much of a sadistic fan you are, you know, you can use your imagination with whether or not you know they got sliced. But I always thought that was a good suspension of disbelief. You know, like he's got the sword, just don't show the blood, just kind of you know, just swipe them, and yeah, it looks fine. It looks great. We get it. It's good.
3: <laughs> well, the cartoon always got around this with it there being a lot of um, robotic characters, so right? Leo could always slice up a robot. And I think that was pretty common in the nineties,
2: man. Yeah, Uh, So that was,
3: you know, you want him to slice up something. So might as well just be that,
2: which I also think, you know, after we've had these couple of reboots that, you know, however people may feel about them. um, I think that would be kind of a cool jump off point for a new reboot, you know, maybe take it a little bit into the wacky, more, over-the-top elements and have them slicing up some robots and stuff you know i don't know i think that could be kind of cool um yeah but there you know there is a, a lot of attention paid to realism in this version and somewhat still in the in the in the more recent uh films um in as much as they can i think krang shows up in that second one but another conversation for another day in the comics and the cartoons the turtles are around three to four feet tall uh they're very more alien kind of looking a little bit more odd looking i guess to humans and stuff however for obvious costuming reasons the turtles are the same height as april casey shredder and the foot clan average height you know between five six and six zero i like
3: them being the same height i don't i don't know i think that's a yeah bitter, yeah i think for some yeah, i mean
2: reason. i like a little variation in terms you know set them apart or whatever but yeah i like i like them being a more human height you know and like if you did any other movie where they're kind of little impish little ninja guys, that could be pretty fun, but you know, it would, I think it would take away from like the zeitgeist of the turtles that we, that we know and love now, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: It
2: would be kind of, it would feel like it's like, it's like, you know, you may get a short Wolverine here, but he's not going to be that short, you know, five, two, no way. They'll probably never do that, but they may do somebody five, six, slightly maybe. shorter than Hugh Jackman, but you know, it's just kind of one of those things, like we're kind of past it. um, And that's okay uh yeah however those old comics are great if you go back and see them they're still there they haven't gone anywhere and uh, a lot of fun stuff a lot of darker stuff in those in those comics in the original trailer there is a shot of the turtles rising up from what looks like a swamp Uh, the shot was cut from the final release but is part of a longer scene that was later used near the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 the secret of the Us*. do you remember this at all the bloop, Dude, bloop.
3: I I barely remember seeing the movie in the theater. I, I I you know the trailer. I I'd have to look it up on YouTube. I I don't remember that yeah. too much. But the but the end the end scene with um in the second one I I'm, I can remember that pretty well. This yeah. is after they they leave um uh, bebop and rocksteady or whatever
2: they're supposed to Toca be Toka and Razar, yeah, yeah, Raza yeah. or whatever. Um, I I remember. I very, I pretty vividly remember like a TV spot maybe where you saw these turtles like boom, boom, boom and like the dramatic music and everything. And and I didn't even, until I went to go research all this and it had been a while since I seen the movie, I didn't even really think about that shot missing from the film, but then like reading that and kind of seeing the movies again, I was just like, oh man, it brought back this real big wave of nostalgia where I was just like, you know, something was strange about that. And I think it was because it was probably in the trailers. I think Great. that's what it was, yeah, and then didn't end up in the film. Um, <clears throat> this is a cool little filmic tidbit here. Uh, to help disguise how cumbersome and slow the Turtles' costumes were, dialogue scenes were shot at 23 frames per second as opposed to the normal 24.
3: I wonder who thought of that. And just to explain to the audience, um, the more frames per second, the, it's going to be slower, and the less it'll be faster. So what mm-hmm. we're what's tra- traditional filmmaking is at 24 frames a second – for movies and it's 30 or 29.97 or whatever for a tv almost the same but so they shot this at 23 right so they wanted to make it a, just a little bit faster yeah i remember being blown away
2: <laughs> um, it took three puppeteers to operate the splinter puppet kevin clash performs the puppet while the facial expressions are remote controlled by another puppeteer and the arms are controlled by the puppeteer who works along with kevin during the performances of the puppet kind of hard to visualize um, as a listener but the next time you watch the film maybe pay attention to a little bit of how splinters work and they really brought them to life in such a good way I mean like you know the the dated animatronics a little bit you know they obviously are what they are but very believable Possessed the right thinking. only then can one
1: receive the gifts of strength knowledge and peace. I have tried to channel your anger, Raphael. But more remains. Anger clouds the mind. Turned inward, it is an unconquerable enemy. You are unique among your brothers. For you choose to face this enemy alone. But as you face it, do not forget them and do not forget me i am here my son
2: he's great his voice is great too oh yeah it's that kevin clash kudos yeah and you know you're you forget that you're watching a giant rat talk to a giant turtle you know what i mean it's just it's a yeah. father and son moment and it's, just, it's highly effective
3: this is what's so... It's a testament to this movie is, you know, you do... You can start to accept everything, even as an adult, because you have really great uh, emotional beats. Mm -hmm. Like, they really like... There's some real emotion here, and it's not bullshit. Like, I mean, I feel like even Marvel, to this day, they have a lot of great scenes, but there's something about... I don't know, like, older movies, something... They, they like... (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, they they really hone in on like some like a deeper emotional level sometimes, even when it's a big a big uh, turtle talking to a big rat.
2: Yeah, yeah. Certain, you know, certain things just come into become more commonplace, I think, with the way, you know, comedy is approached, fight scenes are approached. Um, I've been going back and watching a lot of like 80s action movies lately, and they just they do have a really distinct flavor and you know they're not like the movies now you know we just have different approach to some of these things bigger yeah. more elaborate you know um but for the time and where film technology and stuff was this was like you know pretty cutting edge stuff uh and and you know like i said before it, it ages really well i really feel like this film you know ages super good and i think part of that is due to just the independent spirit with which it was made and like kind of like You know, by comparison to a lot of other big franchises, the bare bones budget that they had to work with. And uh, it really stands out, uh, you know, as opposed to a lot of the stuff that we have now or are used to now seeing. Right. Kicks ass.
3: Any other tasty tidbits? (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, All of the T-shirts that the character Danny wears in the film have a picture of the Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah, because um, he was I wonder, a punk dude, He was a, man. Yeah, he, he was a 90s, yeah.
3: uh, but I love 77 punk rock, bro, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and, you know, Sex Pistols were probably, like, one of the most popular punk bands uh, in the, you know, breaking into the mainstream in, like, the mid to late 80s and stuff like that, so it would make sense that this kid was, you know, that's about as punk as they could get. You wouldn't see, like, Gigi Allen on his T-shirt or anything like that, but... <laughs> But, um, yeah, that's a fun little tidbit. Uh, in the foot, uh, I got a little
3: comment, a little culture comment. Like, I grew up with this kind of thing where, like, a lot of the times you would see the stereotypical bad kid in, um, yeah, in in a show that would be be usually like a skater or a punk rocker or a heavy metal dude. But, like, I feel like in real life, Every time I saw a kid that was into any of those things, they were just kind of nerdy. They weren't even, like, really, like, a bad kid. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? I take it back. There were, like, maybe two or three out of the, like, hundreds of kids I met growing up Mm -hmm. just being in school. But most of the – in Alabama and Georgia, most of the really bad kids were usually, like, I don't know, not like that. But I did definitely know at least one dude that was super punk and, like Mm – got kicked out of school actually cause he was always in fights and all kinds of shit like yeah. that. So there was, you know, there, at least there was that, but I think this is a stereotype at the time that they really loved. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I don't know. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. Especially if you're like a producer and writer and it's just a, yeah. it's easy, It's it's a stereotype that's easy to grab onto.
2: Yeah. 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 I definitely had some, some bad kids in my neighborhood, but they were a lot more like the kids you see in the in the Foot Warehouse um, than yeah, than, yeah. than Danny himself. You know what I mean? Like I definitely knew right. Danny's. They were you know turning a turning a corner and you know have you know not going down a bad path. But there was a ton of like jackass kids in my neighborhood for sure that were up to no good, getting arrested, gangs, drugs, all that kind of dumb shit. Um, right. Which brings me to the Foot Warehouse. Um, <laughs> nice, tasty oh, little Well, You mean tip. the greatest place on earth, bro? I, I think so, too. The first time I saw this place, I was just like, that's the house I want. That's where I want to live. Still to this day, I want that <laughs> warehouse. Arcade games everywhere. You know, I'm not big on playing poker or smoking cigars, which I think is another moment of edge that kind of stuck out to me as a kid. Is when you see that kid playing billiards and he's puffing on that cigar.
3: These are bad kids. This These is another bad like kids. <laughs> really old stereotype, by the way. I want to yeah. explain to the younger listeners. And you see this in Terminator Two as well, and mm-hmm. a few other video games. Bad kids hung out at the arcade. You know oh, what I right. mean? <laughs> like, but the arcade yeah. in my in my uh, memory was just a bunch of fucking nerds because it was video games. But I, right, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is something more from the '80s and less from the '90s where we're yeah. from. But this whole like the bad kids smoke and drink at the arcade yeah um, the you know like this I don't remember that being part of my experience but this you yeah. saw this in, you saw this in movies all the time back then yeah and, like this is part of like their whole smoking and drinking and playing um what whatever the fuck they're playing um in the in the arcade what, what games do you remember
2: that's the um for, they're playing where, where no else? I remember narc being in the background very prominently yes, NARC. narc and narc was a super violent game blood splattering everywhere you know so all these all this imagery as soon as you burst into this foot warehouse, um, is is pretty provocative. Anything you, guys want, we
0: got it. Anything you wanna do, do it. You know what I'm saying? Anything. You got any cigarettes? Regular or menthol?
2: And that was the first time I reali I found out what menthol was. I had to like ask my dad. oh really I don't think I even paid attention to that it's just like oh shit we're in the we're in the wrong place these Um, are bad kids by the way
3: I want to circle back to something real real quick tangent Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when in the very beginning of the movie whenever they're like stealing shit in New York and passing shit back and forth yeah, as the Foot Clan. Yeah, I remember as a kid being like, "Oh, that's New York. It's a big city, and it's
1: dangerous." Right. You yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That was yeah.
3: that was something. My impression, my first totally. impression of New York actually was from Ninja Turtles, hundred percent. Like before any other, the right. first time I ever saw New York, it was in the Ninja Turtles <laughs> movie, hundred yeah. percent. There was no other. There's, I, I'm pretty sure that's. There's no other way around it. Like that's yeah. that's exactly what happened in my life.
2: Yeah. And like eighties, New York was still a really rough place. You know, you just heard your parents talking about it or heard it on the news and stuff. So it, it really, you know, the setting It was a place that seemed to need heroes like the turtles who were, you know, work from within yes. the shadows and things. And, um, I, you know, I had a really, I think pride turtles did it, but I had a really strong fascination with New York city as a young kid. Um, uh, so in this foot house, uh, in the foot warehouse, um, A cool little tidbit is uh, a lot of the boxes in the foregrounds uh in that in that establishing shot near the half pipe if you'll pay attention um say mirage on them which is a reference to mirage comics uh the comic book company yeah the the original comic book company that um published the ninja turtles comic by kevin eastman and peter laird um, Shredder and the Foot Clan's hideout were filmed in an abandoned cement factory called the Ideal Cement Factory outside Wilmington, North Carolina in Castle Hane, if you want to go visit that and break in and uh, be a foot Dude, soldier. it's probably in right. nothing now, man. It's <laughs> yeah. probably just a fucking it's a Walmart or something. block, <laughs>
3: shitty-ass building now. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> That's funny. This location was also used as the set for Dino Hatton in Super Mario Brothers film in 1993. Uh, which I do remember that very cyberpunk oh. scene actually um,
3: try to forget that. Yeah. Movie, man. This concrete thing, this is the, the one you were just talking about. That's the one in um with the half pipe and NARC and shit.
2: Yeah. This will be the warehouse that the, the foot clan warehouse. Um, And okay, gotcha. uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's just, just a large space, you know, probably, you know, North Carolina has a nice uh, pretty active film scene. So, Probably a lot of stuff that we've seen was shot in this particular location. Um, Which, shit, man, I just want to live there. (laughs) (laughs) Because of this movie? Well, you know, the Foot Clan warehouse. Yeah, because of the movie. I just want that warehouse. I don't want to move to North Carolina, but yeah. Instead of the Batcave,
3: you want the Foot Clan warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: Skateboard ramp, arcade games, a bunch of friends. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. So those were a lot of the things that went into the making of the film. Um, After the break, we'll get into some of the cool behind-the-scenes trivia and stuff you may not have known about these particular superheroes. Uh, We're going to take a minute.
1: You are still young, but one day I will be gone. Use my teachings wisely. I suggest we all meditate now. On the events of this evening, well, this is like meditating.
3: If you want to be on superhero stuff, you should know then please take out your phone and open up your voice recorder app. Please record, I Love Superhero Stuff You Should Know, or You're Now Listening to Superhero Stuff You Should Know, or It Could Be Anything, and we will add that to the beginning of our episode or somewhere in it as a little bumper. Um, So make that recording and then press the share button and share it to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. Um, or super house pod on Instagram, Ben's still heading that up and, um, yeah hey everybody it's andrew i just wanted to tell you about our friend israel's retro gaming shop retro co if you go to retro hyphen ko.com you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies if you wanted to get that sega saturn hidden gem from back in the day or if you wanted to get the famicom disk system that you never got as a kid or any other type of retro game that you were into or uh import game please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-K-O.com. And if you use the superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European, Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Super
2: House discount. Alright and welcome back, hope you enjoyed those bumpers of ours. Please feel free to, as we mentioned, support our Patreon account, go on our various social media accounts and subscribe, like, share comments, Um, we'd love to hear from you all. Uh, But without further ado, back into the TMNT of 1990. There are also numerous deleted scenes, mostly on the farm section of the film. Uh, that give the four turtles much more character development expanding on april and casey's romance and would put later scenes into a different context Um, and uh, some examples of that are uh, april and casey's reaction to mikey's turtle wax joke classic was originally Uh one one of relief after he goes through a severe depression where he destroys a punching bag and a part of the barn's wall. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's, that's a little scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if these yeah. are on the DVD uh, somewhere or on a blu-ray cut or something. I definitely, I haven't seen these, but would love to see I've them. Seen
3: them on YouTube.
2: Oh really? Okay. I'll have to check those out. That sounds, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, yeah. that would have been a little much for the film though. I'm kind of glad they just, you know, didn't linger on something like that as much as I would love to see more footage, but. Um, uh, an extended training sequence where Leo pro, uh, proves a point by turning his mask around and fighting blindfolded, followed by the other turtles taking turns, doing the same. The scene rather famously has Donatello sporting a straw hat. Um, that's cool. I think there's a, a long shot where you see Donatello wearing the hat, uh, in the film, but you don't really get much of that. Uh, let alone this, this idea of like the blind warrior fighting, which... Again, I think it's super cool, but you know it's like probably, yeah. probably good that they took it out. Um, <clears throat> various scenes of the Turtles training on their own or in pairs trying to master the technique Leo shows them earlier uh, is another thing that ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, some of the April and Casey scenes involve him trying to help her with a stuck truck door while she declines and exits on the driver's side. Another leads into a scene of the two of them talking on the porch on the porch swing where the night before she shows him her drawings of the turtles, uh, but tries to hide the one she did of him in a beanie. They both share a laugh over it. So that's definitely oh, uh, the, uh, the scene that they shot for the parents in the audience, uh, you know, or the, the right. more, the more adult kind of stuff, but you know, obviously didn't end up in the film, uh, which is fine. That would have been a derailment of sorts, a game of Ninja hot potato where the turtles toss around an apple and, the holder has to defend against the other three while taking a bite out of it uh it takes a much it makes the later scene where Raph finishes off an apple after defeating a squad of foot ninjas uh, kind of a callback um which even without this scene that they cut is, is is such a great cool moment for raphael
0: gosh i do hope there's more of them <laughs> huh?
1: Huh?
2: Uh, but also another scene that would have been really cool to see and um, you know my I haven't seen all of the 2012 series but I've seen a lot of it and there's some scenes on the farm so I'd have to go back but I wonder if maybe this details added in uh, somehow which would be kind of kind of interesting and I wouldn't put it past past that creative team to have done something like that their attention to detail is pretty pretty um, extensive uh, some other actresses that were uh, considered for April O'Neil were Jennifer Beals, Marissa Tomei, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Melanie Griffith, Sean Young, Lorraine Bracco, Winona Ryder, and Brooke Shields. Um, which would have been interesting to see somebody like Sandra Bullock, maybe because she was she was really up and coming a little bit later, I think, or um, you know Winona Ryder, I think, could have pr- probably fit that, or Brooke Shields, maybe. Uh, but you know, those were all probably just on the list of names, uh, rather than you know. I wonder if any of them auditioned, other than some of the ones that.
3: This is for April, right?
2: Yeah, for April O'Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some big names. And Marissa you
3: know. Tomei at she, that time. Yeah. Oh gosh, she was just coming off of my cousin. Or no, this might have been a little bit before my cousin. A little cousin bit before, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Jennifer Beals would have been good too, um, but I'm happy with Judith Hoag. <laughs> uh, in the 1980s the first pitch kevin eastman and peter laird got for a film treatment was from schlockmeister roger corman's new world pictures the idea was to have the turtles played by four comedians who were popular at the time this is good gallagher <laughs> suggested sam kinnison <laughs> swears oh like a God. fucking sailor bobcat Goldthwaite, same thing <laughs> and billy crystal um so this was an earlier pitch and i think i've actually seen drawings of each of these comedians in like the turtle costumes or whatever which that would have been something else um the actors would have been dressed in the turtle shells and have their arms and legs painted green another treatment received at the time took the turtles into r-rated territory and included a scene with partially nude nuns on roller skates fighting the heroes (laughs) so this must have been the you know something special spurned from the comics maybe the sentiment of like they were darker a little bit more edgy a little bit more violent Um, maybe they thought you know like roger the new world pictures probably saw it as like a yet another like schlocky monster property or something to bring to life as opposed to what it became that's fucking ridiculous
3: (laughs) sounds like a schumacher ninja turtles film to me right
2: yeah (laughs) Uh, when getting this movie started Mark Friedman knew it would have to offer a significantly different experience from the Fred Wolf produced animated TV show therefore an effort was made to make this movie stay as close as possible to the vision co-creators Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird presented in their original comic book series um, that's kind of interesting uh, I guess they kind of had to lead with that too to maybe maybe get you know the broader audience like the adults who would be in you know try and sell it as not just a kids movie. Um, which I think as it ages is, is you know, I, I mean, I don't really see it as a kid's movie so much as just like a great action movie uh, in as much that it is, you know, intended for kids. So Golden Harvest approached Limelight Entertainment about co-producing the film with Limelight. Steve Barone uh, tapped as director Barone had recently directed several episodes of The Storyteller uh, for Jim Henson. Golden Harvest knew that a live action TMNT movie would require extensive use of animatronics and Barone's experience in that field would be invaluable to the production. Um, That's pretty cool. Jim Henson's Creature Shop's London-based crew worked long hours to construct several versions of each turtle over the course of the 10-week pre-production period. The costumes had to be perfect down to the last detail and were handcrafted by Henson's artist. Um, 10 weeks, that's like a semester of school. I mean, I'm I'm in this business. I have
3: an idea of how long this right. takes, and there's yeah. there's been you know um, advancements in this field, of course, but I think that the core process is still kind of the same mm-hmm. for the most part as as it was then. Does ten and weeks seem
2: standard, or is that kind of a rush?
3: Ten weeks is, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm no expert, but I think a little bit of a rush, especially at yeah. that time, because I think yeah. films got a lot uh longer back then than they do now yeah yeah so that people just rush it all the time
2: yeah just Um, seems to be the way anyway in movies you know things got to get done and especially in the effects i mean you would know in the effects business especially uh,
3: if they want to have several different versions like you said yeah that's a right yeah that's 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 a lot of work man
2: yeah, and I've actually seen some of these costumes that go on eBay and stuff, and that, that foam uh, latex uh, degrades over time, and these things look pretty horrific, but still sell for like $5,000, 8000
3: Yeah, you're talking about like a moldy lump of foam latex. I mean, yeah. sure, it's part of cinema history, but if that shit's not taken care yeah. of, it's... Google it's no them. Good, they, look,
2: they look pretty messed up, actually. They look pretty disgusting, like... You wouldn't want it in your house. Probably gives you some respiratory problems or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for sure. Actor and martial artist Ernie Reyes Jr. was brought in to replace an injured Hong Kong stuntman who initially performed Donatello's stunts. Uh, Reyes Jr. said the suit got so hot during filming that he had to drink a gallon of water a day just to keep hydrated. Um, Dude, yeah. if
3: you want to lose weight, get in one of these suits because yeah. yeah, you lose all your water weight. Actors talk about this all the time. It is pretty rough on your system. You you, you know, um, at, at my company now, they they do put in. Um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to say anything because I don't know what's secret and what's not. Okay. Anyway, okay. yeah, the suits get hot.
2: Yeah! 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 Um actor Corey Feldman said he was offered only 1500 bucks to do the voice work for this film. Corey accepted believing the producers believing the producers who told him that this was only a small low budget independent film hoping that it would have moderate success on VHS if they were lucky. The movie ended up making millions of dollars at the box office. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Those I'm sure he got some no, man. Residuals hopefully or something.
3: But you got to realize, like, the way we never saw Minecraft being this big, this must have been a similar kind of thing for for them in that position. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for adults to know what's going to be big and what's not going to be big.
2: Yeah. It's it's interesting to hear stuff like that. You know, it's kind of like that Will Smith turning down the Neo part and stuff like that. You know, it's just like things that could have been or – I mean, this actually happened. Corey Feldman was Donatello, but – you know, the they probably had no idea how big it would be and it would just stay on shelves as toys and cartoons, you know. Um Actor Scott Wolf from Party of Five, if anybody's familiar, and also Double Dragon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has a Double Dragon is bad as well, but, you know, it's got that, that real nostalgic kind of thing going on for it. Anyway, another conversation for another day. Um, but he was a foot recruit uh, in the film and... You know i watched it the other day and i'm wondering if he's the one that tatsu beats up at the beginning but he doesn't i don't think it's scott wolf so maybe he was in a mask you know i'm not sure i have to go back and look at that um for the flashback of the turtles growing up in the film uh, steve barone was going for a retro look decided these scenes would be shot on super 8 film uh, because these scenes used real turtles as well as mini puppet young splinter and young turtles Uh, they were time consuming scenes and were given to the second unit under the second unit director Brian Henson himself. Um, that's one of the best little moments I too. I was
1: amazed at how intelligent they seemed, but nothing could have prepared me for what happened next. One of them spoke. Pizza, pizza.
3: Yes, and that's, and then um, there's a the flashback with Splinter just l- as a
2: rat learning. <laughs> oh, too. I love it in the cage. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's father. just copying I, yeah, great. I, I like that he was great, just a, in, inherently a smart rat before the the, the ooze turned him uh, into a tall rat essentially <laughs> he, was, he, was, <laughs> he was in there trying to learn his ninjutsu yes. to get the right design for the sets production designer Roy Forge-Smith and art director Gary Wisner went to New York City for, for four months prior to filming and took still photographs of rooftops and other various locations that's pretty cool that would have been a fun trip Uh, to just go and get paid to take pictures. Um, Because the interior scenes in Wilmington were shot close to a nearby airport this presented problems to the Turtles performers radio controlled animatronic heads and would receive signals from the control tower causing their facial expressions to go into involuntary spasms. <laughs> Dude, that would be horrific. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're you you know, you're on set during a scene or whatever, and you're trying to get the right you know performance from your actors and all these things aligning with the animatronics and everything, and for the thing to just go like whacked out. I would I would really love to see some footage of this. Um, so if anybody out there is a internet sleuth who may be able to get a hold of something like that, email us. Um, but I'll look on YouTube. Uh, later (laughs) but i doubt we'll find anything but yeah that would have been that would have been interesting to see for sure uh the movie portrays hamato yoshi as splinter's master owner and splinter learned his ninja skills through observing and mimicking him in his cage like we just said Uh, this is true to the original tmnt comics but was the first time this version of splinter's origin was seen
1: many years ago i lived in japan a pet of my master yoshi mimicking his movements from my cage and learning the mysterious art of ninjutsu. For Yoshi was one of Japan's finest shadow warriors. This
3: sounds about right. I don't remember them ever really going into like Splinter's origin at all whatsoever.
2: Right. First yeah, part. in the in the cartoon he was Hamato Yoshi and he was transformed Uh, which which is famously portrayed in the opening sequence where he's like breaking boards and then turns into a rat or whatever. That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is kind of the, uh, the, you know, like a Batman begins kind of approach to realism here where you're like trying to make things fit to be believable, to be gritty and realistic while also still maintaining that you're making a film about giant Ninja turtles and rats for that matter. This is the last theatrical film that Jim Henson was associated with and died about a month and a half after the film's release. That's kind of crazy.
3: Okay, so this surprises me because he died in 1990. I just remember his name being very popular throughout the 90s. Yeah, Um, everywhere. I guess his company just kept going. We had the Muppet Babies Mm -hmm. on, uh, you know yeah on on tv still and i don't know i just remember yeah. being and, and still being kind of around i'm su- I'm surprised yeah. he died that early on
2: yeah he, he seemed like even for our childhood you know he's probably more renowned for generations previous but for our childhood it's he's still you know then jim henson the name and the 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 shows and stuff and movies that he was attached to were just had such a huge impact i felt like you know that was a part of my life. You know, Jim Henson was working. It was a part of my upbringing and stuff, but you know, yeah, he was dead when we were six. So yes, rest in peace, Jimbo. We love you. Um, All right. We're rounding out the last bit of factoids here. Thanks for joining me on this wacky ride of TMNT history. Um, With the, with the exclusion of Josh Pice, all the actors who voiced the turtles in this film, later voiced characters in TMNT shows. Uh, which I think some of these guys turned up in the 2012 series, which is pretty tight. Uh, Brian, That's cool. Yeah, Brian Tochi would appear in a 1993 episode of the Turtles cartoon. Robbie Rist would play Mondo Gecko, one of my favorite characters. I love that dude. You know, it's he's a pothead if they can't even show pot on the cartoon, but he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mondo For Gecko, sure. Robbie Rist, uh, and Corey Feldman would play Slash in the 2012 series which is really cool they did good with slash slash was also a a favorite character of mine great figure great action figure as were they all the turtles figures um at one of the first story meetings director steve barone had met with kevin eastman and peter laird to go through the comics barone told him the movie is right there to which the co-creators approved todd langan was hired to write the final script
3: so he was basically chosen by the creators because he was like, this source material's already got it. We don't need to change all that much about yeah, it. Yeah, seems like yeah,
2: yeah. he r- really swayed them into being, you know, the the, pro- the properties in the right hands here. Like, oh, this uh, is the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. gotcha. Yeah, which, I got nothing to argue there, I think, you know, despite his being fired and everything, I think... You know what what work he did, the good work he did on this film, really shows. Uh, the, these scenes, like we said, are very compelling.
3: We're still talking about it. You know, it's it's a testament
2: to him. Right. Live Entertainment Incorporated announced that the film would go to VHS via its Family Home Entertainment label on October fourth in nineteen ninety. The suggested price for the VHS on its release was twenty four ninety nine, and back then, that's a lot. VHSs were extremely expensive when they
3: first came out in like the I don't know early '80s or whatever. Like you're looking like right. they were like a hundred bucks even then, and then it slowly came down in price. And um, yeah, twenty five then would be like God, forty maybe today. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like forty bucks for a movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, quite quite yeah, yeah. expensive.
2: Yeah, which I haven't bought like a Blu-ray or anything in in a long time. But um, seems like 25 bucks actually for some of these eh, actually doesn't seem too out of the ordinary now that I think about it. But um, but, but for you know, 40, though, adjusted for services. inflation around 40 bucks. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. That would be rough we'll go buy a new endgame. Although the, a lot of the films, because of where the market is, it seems like a lot of these kind of films, especially um, comic book properties and stuff, go to great lengths to make like a nice packaged version, like a special edition or something like that, that would ultimately like, you know, you would shell out like $40, but you're getting all this like extra shit as opposed to just the like normal release for, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. The original opening for the film contained the turtles, giant shells mysteriously emerging from the river at night before engaging on a long, complicated tracking shot through the city. Budget constraints caused this to be replaced by the scenes of the foot gang committing acts of theft during daylight. You know, I mean, it gets the point across, and then also you see, you see that bit with Danny. He's he's intercut in this whole thing. You know, it's not just a bunch of riffraff stealing stuff. They actually, you know, also incorporate one of the main characters into this these acts of theft and stuff, and he, like, leans up against that wall for them to take that wallet which is such a cool shot too, because then it also establishes like the ninja thievery with the, the foot clan members hand and his, um, what would you call that? Those things on top of the hand bracers or something. People say gauntlets a lot, you know, like gauntlets or something. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hand wraps, but you know, visually just really like this whole movie, you know, visually just was, is really compelling to me. Just some of these really nice images, but I mean that's filmmaking and you know, that's, You know, when you have a good director and a good vision behind things, it's it's it always, you know, always seems to pay off when there's some good artistic flair thrown in. Um, uh, Similarly, the scene in which the turtles attack the teens mugging April with the light being knocked out was a result of the production not having the time to choreograph another fight scene. Which again, this is like a cool moment where that totally works. You know, the sound effects of the ninja fighting and again it's just like one of those cool things like when your budget is constraining you on what you want to do and like finding problem solving your way out of it with something that i think ultimately is like even more effective than i mean it'd been cool to see him rough up some characters right then but but it really works well i think. think Um, David Foreman would play Leonardo again for the second and last time when he made a cameo in Bernard and the Genie, where Leonardo is a little boy's doll, which magically comes to life and demonstrates some martial arts fighting skills. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I've never heard of Bernard and the Genie, but the first scene in the opening credits is a zoom into, new, into a New York sewer. This is an iconic shot from the title sequence, uh, uh replicated from the title sequence of the, the animated series itself, um which, uh, you know, is obviously a little bit different because it's a live-action film, but nice little nod there. Um, Always love those subtle things. Uh, Filming began in July 1989, a mere two weeks after the theatrical release of Batman. Uh, Two months were allocated from filming, and the production came together much faster than a typical Jim Henson project. One of the writers, Bobby Herbeck, wrote Casey Jones to have a cricket bat after attending a cricket game with director Steve Barone.
3: (laughs) Barone, I think, is Irish, or he was born in Ireland at least. Okay,
2: interesting. Yeah, all I really know about him is turtles and ah. Uh, so sorry, other Steve Barone fans, if I'm butchering his the reverence of his career.
3: <laughs> May fourth, nineteen fifty-six, Dublin, Ireland. Who knows if he grew up there right, or not? Yeah. But, oh, he was. Wait, he was a camera assistant on uh, Richard Donner Superman.
2: Oh wow! So he's got some superhero pedigree already there. That's pretty kick-ass. Yeah nice um uh, martial artist benny Urquides, i think that's the way you spell it, uh, pronounce his name and richard norton were considered were considered for the role of casey jones and were also considered to do fight choreography for the movie as well this is the first time that the turtles used their short names being leo for leonardo Donny donnie for donatello raf raf for Raphael, and mikey for michelangelo which they generally refer to themselves in every incarnation but the original comics Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1987 and TMNT, the feature-length animated film in 2007. Um, The scene where Raphael exits the movie theater was originally going to be different. He would have commented, cool car, stupid costume, as a reference to Batman 1989. (laughs) That hits a little close to home for us. Um, Yes. Which was in theaters during the filming of this movie. You know, in in a lot of ways, that would have been funny, but, you know, I'm glad they didn't do it. Um, But, you know, Batman really... Turtles probably wouldn't have existed as well if it wasn't for the hit uh, Batman uh, Film you know, bringing comic book characters to life and, and all that jazz uh, In the background of one of the shots of the city, there's a clear poster for critters uh, Hanging on the wall outside of the theater and also is the scene where Raph famously steps out instead of the Batman line he says
1: Ugh. Where did they come up with this stuff?
2: yeah I mean and I I, you know I remember kind of liking critters just because it was like one of those late night movies that you're not supposed to watch or whatever had boobies in it and stupid puppets Um, so (laughs) I I think I may have not seen it around that I mean I must have seen it around that time if it was already out so that was like I think even as a kid I was like yeah that's funny (laughs) turtles are better than critters (laughs) (laughs) nowhere in this movie or its sequels is mentioned the word mutagen uh, as is like more famously known to us, I think, yeah, through the cartoons and stuff like that, and video games and everything, um, it's referred to as a strange glowing liquid or ooze. Uh, hence, the subtitle for the sequel, Secret of the Ooze.
3: Ooze stuck, sticks out to me more, I guess, because I saw the movies so so much, and it's easier to say yeah. as a kid. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I actually forgot it was even called Mutagen. Actually,
2: it's the it's the lay term for the. Scientific mutagen. Yes. Um, moving on, uh, Josh Pice as Raphael is the only actor who physically portrays and voices the same turtle.
3: Oh, that's cool.
2: Yeah. All the other turtles were portrayed by uh, both different uh, different actors, voice actor and a, and a actor in the suit. Raphael's a great character in this film, too. His thematic arc and everything. Uh, also, in the film, April is a reporter for Channel 3. And in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series, she was a reporter at Channel 6. Um, I always that stuck out to me and I'd be like oh man they fucking totally didn't do their research <laughs> like nitpicking it right away but I don't know. think
3: I noticed that at all man yeah. like that's just I just was not concerned with April yeah. at all
2: yeah yeah in the cartoon she said it a lot this is April O'Neill from channel six you know it's like so I think for some people that might have been a very iconic kind of change I remember being like that's not right and then even in my <laughs> my young six-year-old brain I was like you know thinking maybe this you know it's just a precursor maybe in the next movie already dreaming of a sequel you know she'll be at channel six or you know something like this is ooh they're and april they're...
3: changed uh, dude this is how bad it was april changed act actors every time right every movie
2: uh yeah i believe so yeah it, which is also kind of, of it, bro, a bro bummer
3: did not notice whatsoever when i was a kid <laughs> yeah had absolutely yeah. i would watch them back to back and still not notice on vhs right, yeah we just didn't give a um, shit at that moment I just time. was not old enough to... I don't know. Maybe I was a dumb kid. Yeah. I just... Yeah. I didn't see it. I because our
2: favorite... We didn't have, like, favorite actors and actresses. Like, our favorite actors were Michelangelo and Leonardo. You know, like...
3: Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. I mean, the I, I remember seeing the third one and being like, this isn't as good. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know why. But, you know, you just have, like, an... You can just kind of tell mm-hmm. intuitively. But mm-hmm. other than that, like, I didn't even notice... That the, that the first, well, maybe a little bit, that the second one was a little bit lighter, but I didn't really think about it. I don't think I thought thought about it that much at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
3: was just like, this is more Ninja Turtle action, and they got something <laughs> that looks like Bebop and Rocksteady this time around. That's yeah. cool. It's, and yeah, Super it's, Shredder is cool. And that's it, dude. Like, I did not notice fucking anything <laughs> else.
2: <laughs> the Lastly, the character of Danny only appears in this movie and this movie alone. He's never seen again or heard from in any other variant of the ninja turtles history um, not in
3: comics not in games nothing
2: yeah nothing
1: my dad could care less about me maybe
2: he's used as a, as, as a device in certain ways to get some of the themes across um or maybe he's just like a real human character that's kind of the audience member and we're being introduced to all these wacky characters and even if you think of like the the strong willed and stalwart reporting of April O'Neil, she in, in her own way is kind of like super heroic. Whereas Danny is very street level. He's very much more like us. So it's kind of like yes. the human character you're going along with as a cornerstone to see all these like crazy monsters and shit. And they're going to be your friends and everything. Cause, cause otherwise in films like the monsters are always bad guys, you know, and, you don't relate to them because they're so horrific or whatever. Yes. Uh, Before I wrap this up, Andrew, is there anything else you'd like to say?
3: Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for the Ninja Turtles tutelage there. uh, Wolfie. Um, I always love learning about this stuff and it's actually kind of cool that we made this, our first episode. Sorry that Ben couldn't be here, but with the new name and all that, because even though I think technically for me, transformers was first chronologically, this was the, the longest and the heaviest hitting uh, franchise in our uh, childhood, I think, for a lot of people our age. Um, and they're still around in some degree. Um, there's still that show that's kind of like people don't really love so much that's on Nickelodeon even right now. But you know what I mean? So it's cool to see that it, it's at least still going on. I guess that's it. Take it away, Wolfie.
2: And on that note, I leave you with this last factoid. Despite the fact that Domino's Pizza was used as product placement in the film itself, uh, Pizza Hut was the one that engaged in a $20 million marketing campaign that was tied to the film.
3: You have to, bro. You have to. greasy
2: pizza, the feast of pizza, and the Turtles movie. Yeah, It just doesn't get better than that. It just still doesn't get better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I remember at the beginning of the VHS, there's another Pizza Hut placement. I like to mention this because it's like a nostalgic thing for me. Oh,
3: this is, oh.
2: I wanted to end with this special little tune that some may remember from the VHS release of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
3: Oh my God, this is, I remember this. This is one of the previews in the VHS.
1: Off in the distance, the game's dragging on. There's strikes on the batter, some runners are on. Then suddenly ah. everyone's looking at me. My mind has been wondering what could it be. They point to the sky and I look up above. And a baseball falls into my glove.
0: Oh. You gotta know
1: how to catch You
3: gotta know how to throw Oh yeah, I'd like to, like to thank Kooky Noms I'd like to thank Matt Herring, Elijah B And um, yeah, we're it's kind of a soft launch We're not changing all the Superhouse uh, Social media names at the moment But the pod, this podcast name right here uh, This name has changed it's still under the super house umbrella, I guess you could say. And we're still kind of figuring all that out ourselves. But um, as you can see, it's a super house podcast network and maybe we'll have more podcasts with different subject matter um, in the future that fall under this, but we'll still be uh, still be on the same feed, at least for now. Again, we'll kind of figure this out as we go, but we'll make it all very easy to understand for everybody listening and as we continue to grow as well. Um, and we, again, we just kind of decided to, to change the name just to make it very easy for people to understand what this podcast is about. So, um, anyway, yeah, I'm Thunder Wolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. Please join the Shasta Army. That's our $1 tier on Patreon.com superhouse podcast. And
2: this is Wolfie signing off.